So how do you get there? Yes. Another meaning of transcendence is transcending the split between the conscious and the unconscious. That the way to achieve that transcendence, to be comfortable with who you are, to value your own unique identity and expand your capacity for love is to come to terms with this alien force inside your brain, the unconscious. Hello and welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, and I'm thrilled to bring you the first episode of our seven-part series on the secrets of the unconscious mind. In this series, we'll share the latest brain science and speak with authors who are dedicating their life to understanding how you can get more out of your brain and understanding the secrets that help you grow yourself and the brands you're connected to and work with. If you are a leader, a marketer, an executive, a creative, or anyone hoping to expand your personal capacity or influence, this is the series for you. In this first episode, I speak to Dr. Daniel Lieberman who is a professor and vice chair for clinical affairs in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at George Washington University. Dr. Lieberman is a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, a recipient of the Karen Foundation Research Award, and he has published over 50 scientific reports on behavioral science. We explore his latest book, Spellbound, Modern Science, Ancient Magic, and the hidden potential of the unconscious mind. We delve into the neuroscience, psychology, and ancient magic of why so few people go into the superpower of their brain's unconscious and why when they do, it can be dangerous to a point of no return. But be clear, those who change the world know very well that the secret to unimaginable power and influence to make this world a better place to make your life a better place, to make your family better. It's in the unconscious mind. Meet Dr. Daniel Lieberman, author of Spellbound. Enjoy. Dan Lieberman, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm really thrilled for a number of reasons, but I'm slightly obsessed with the unconscious mind, and I can't wait to dig in. But I want to start this conversation with seven fun questions called Inside the Mind. Can we do that? That sounds great. Let's do it. So the first one is, would you prefer living 100 years ago in the past or 100 years in the future? Definitely 100 years in the future. I'm a tech nerd. I love what technology does. I would love to see what we're going to have in 100 years. Awesome. If you can only live with one dimension of your brain, you have to choose one, the conscious or the unconscious. Uh, It would be the conscious. Uh, I think that that is what makes us uniquely human. My book is all about the unconscious and how important it is. I'm going to go with the conscious, though. (laughs) (laughs) You're receiving a Nobel Prize for your work, Dan. And you're required to choose one activity to perform for three minutes, dancing or singing? Definitely singing. Uh, I cannot dance. I can't sing, (laughs) but I really can't dance. (laughs) You can choose one person to have dinner with, Carl Jung or Sigmund Freud. 
definitely Carl Jung. Much bigger fan of his. Not a huge fan of Freud, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Well, it comes through in your book as well. If you had a, if you had to sign a copy of your book to one of these gentlemen, Nelson Mandela or Gandhi. I know more about Gandhi than I do Nelson Mandela. Um, I know that Gandhi is a very imperfect person, that he did some kind of awful things in addition to the wonderful things he did. So I'm going to go with Nelson Mandela. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Wine or whiskey? Um, ooh, depends on the mood. Got it. Vegan or vegetarian diet? Vegetarian. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. You know, I, I, you know, we're going to dig into Spellbound, but I have to tell you, when I started researching your work, I got caught up in your previous book, the book you wrote with Mm. uh, Michael Long, The Molecule of More. And, you know, how a single molecule, for those who aren't familiar with the book, how a single chemical in your brain drives love, sex, creativity, and determines the fate of will determine the fate of the human race. I I want to start there. I want to ask you how this book may have led to your current work. You know, my current work, Spellbound, about the unconscious mind, about magic, that has been my passion um, for a very, very long time. But it was hard to write. It, it's, it's hard to write about Jung because sometimes I feel that you can't understand any Jung until you understand all of Jung. And so in some ways, the molecule of more was a warm up. Um, mm. it, it, I, I, that's not to denigrate it in any way. I've been fascinated with dopamine, which is, which is the molecule of more. Yes. yes, um, yes. Since medical school, uh, it's the sexiest chemical on earth. It's also the most powerful chemical on earth. Um, it looks at the brain. The book looks at the brain in a very biological way. And so I started out with that little bit simpler looking at the microbiology and then on to the psychology, which takes the brain from a very sophisticated standpoint, uh, a little bit more challenging. Aren't you grateful that you started there, though? I am. I I mean, I had so much fun with the molecule of more. Um, Dopamine is just a fascinating molecule. It has so many interesting effects on human behavior. So um, I'm definitely glad I started with that one. And, and, and I loved it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's always interesting to look at an author's background and how they got to where they are. And I think for me, I felt confident reading the book, knowing that you had been on that journey. I want to just say, you know, I particularly enjoyed the book because of like many people have said, if you read the reviews, your storytelling capacity, you don't wear your your medical jargon on your sleeve, you know, you really are comfortable with this work. And I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I want to start with a fairly hard question. You know, the unconscious mind, as you note, is wild and untamed and often self-destructive. Share a couple of, the, of examples of how we self-destruct so consistently across the human race. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there is the, uh, the sudden terrible impulse that destroys a person's life. And then there is kind of the chronic problems that we all deal with. The sudden, um, the sudden impulse. We see people who are at the absolute top of their field, who are so respected. They've accomplished so much. 
And then all of a sudden they do something unimaginably stupid and everything comes crashing down. And, and what do we say when that happens? We say, I don't know what possessed him to do that. In the language is this idea that we can be possessed. Uh, we can be overwhelmed by some alien entity inside of our head. We also say, what, what could have possibly gotten into her to have done that thing? We see it as, as a foreign entity coming in. Now, the, the other kind, the much more prosaic way the unconscious can destroy our life is just by making us desire terrible things. I think that people don't appreciate the role, the huge role that the unconscious plays in their life. And one of the things it does is it determines what we desire. And that's what we spend our entire life pursuing. And sometimes we desire things that are terrible for us. Sometimes yeah. we are absolutely obsessed with people who are just the worst possible thing imaginable for us. Sometimes we get involved with drugs, with junk food, um, there are all kinds of things that we can desire that are bad for us and we can't control it. That's our unconscious mind acting in a way in this situation that's not so good for us. So, Dan, I have to ask you, you know, I've been looking at a lot of the data that supports this work, data such as the fact that Netflix most streamed shows are shows like Jeffrey Dahmer, people eating people, people doing unimaginable harm, horror, tragedy. Why do these attract our unconscious mind so much? That's, that's a difficult question because you would think that we would stay away from these incredibly unpleasant things. Why is it that we are pulled towards them? And I think it has to do with one segment of the unconscious mind. The unconscious mind is just not one homogeneous mass. Okay. There are, there are sort of characters inside there. And one of the characters is something that Jung calls the shadow. The shadow consists of all of the things about us that we reject. The darkest things, um, our sadism, our anger, our hatred. The things that we don't want to admit we have. We say, oh my gosh, no, I'm not that kind of a person. I'm not envious. I'm not greedy. But we are because we are human beings. And that's just part of what makes up the human condition. And so what we do is we suppress it. We push it down into the unconscious where we are largely unaware of it. But it's there and it causes problems. And I think that the reason why we like to view all of this darkness in movies and videos in books is because it kind of um, gives us a connection to this essential part of ourselves that we've pushed away. And by looking at the darkness in other people, that makes it acceptable. We get the best of both worlds. We can see the darkness, but we don't have to admit that it's in ourselves. This is so well said. Thank you. You know, I was thinking of also about success rates. You know, if we think of, I would say the average person thinks of doing something crazy every day, most of the day, right? You think of cheating, you think of someone else, you think of bizarre stuff. You just think, you know, oh, I wish I could just choke him, but you don't. And you don't cheat. And you are loyal. And for 20 years, you follow the higher principles in the call of the conscious mind and you do suppress into the shadowy dark part of the unconscious mind 
99.9% of the time. But when you mess up that one time, it's the world comes down on you. They cancel you. They divorce you. Why is it when the unconscious gets a hold of us and we do slip, the world doesn't consider how successful the conscious mind has been? I think it's because that we have this cult of consciousness that ever <laughs> since the um, ever since the Enlightenment, <laughs> when we discovered the scientific method, um, our conscious mind uh, and science, of course, is the the flower of consciousness. Our conscious mind has given us so much power. It's enabled us to be masters of the earth, soon masters of the universe. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, But I think that one of the unintended side effects is that we've lost our appreciation for the unconscious. We've lost the appreciation for this animal side of us. The animal side that gives us all kinds of wonderful gifts like passion and energy and love and friendship and art and music. But because it is an animal spirit, uh, it's plus and minus. It's light and darkness. And it also brings along these other things, a desire to cheat, a a desire to uh, have sex with any attractive partner we come across, a desire to gorge ourselves on junk food. And I think that if we were more aware of the good things and the bad things, but overall, the intensity and the importance of this aspect of our humanity, we'd be more forgiving of ourselves and we'd be more forgiving of other people. So I want to, for those who are just sort of, maybe they stumbled on this because this podcast had a cool title. Maybe they just kind of was referred to this episode by a friend. Let's give a foundational definition between Let's separate the conscious, the unconscious, and some people refer to the non-conscious. Is that different? No, it's not. There's three. We hear non-conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. I don't love subconscious because by saying, because the unconscious is, yes, it is below the conscious, but it's also above. Uh, there's mm. a spiritual aspect to the unconscious, and and that's an extremely powerful thing in terms of determining our lives and, and even history. So I like the unconscious, and I would give a very simple definition, and that is that the unconscious is all of the activity of your brain that you're unaware of. Now, it can be very, it can be very um, sophisticated things. For example, insight or inspiration. People will talk about having this brilliant idea that changes their life, that boom, comes out of the blue with no seeming preparation on their part. That's uh, one of the most sophisticated things the unconscious does, but it does very primitive things as well. For example, it determines how fast our heart rate goes. It is responsible for hormone secretion into our bloodstream. So the unconscious is all of these things, every aspect of brain behavior that we're unaware of and that we can't control. You know, if you think about the conscious and unconscious as personalities, the conscious would be far more the regulated CA engineer type personality. The unconscious would be the party animal, the one that willing to just kind of go and, and be free. It's a, I'd like to think that most of us have a little bit of both of these personalities in us. It's a dangerous type walk. If you think about the average 
religion, if you think about your grandparents telling you to sit down and most of what the world is trying to do is go, we want to civilize you to a point where you're not just like you have a noose around your neck from your unconscious that the world tells you, if you look at the British Royals, they are the epitome of living at the highest level of their consciousness in most of the world's eye, that they are civilized to a point where they suppress laughter at times. It's not good to laugh in certain spaces. How do you find that balance, Dan? I mean, like, no one wants to be this, you know, two extremes all the time, but finding that balance is challenging, right? It is. It's very challenging. Um, I think you're right. I think our educational system uh, expects us to almost be bloodless calculating machines where we've got our emotions in our uh, completely under our control. Uh, we never do anything without forethought. We're not impulsive. Um, mm. And um, that's not good, obviously. Let me point out, though, that we do value it to some degree. You know, um, the United States in particular values an entrepreneurial culture. And the entrepreneur is a loose cannon. Um, <laughs> you, you can't just follow the rules and create a new business, create a new idea, create a new industry. You've got to be a little bit crazy. You know, um, there's this uh, very old commercial. Uh, it ran during the Super Bowl. I think it's one of the most famous commercials ever done for Apple Computer. And the first line of the, uh, the commercial is, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, mm. the rebels. And, and it's showing these clips of Einstein, um, of uh, Martin Luther King, of, um, of Gandhi, uh, you know, the people who shake things up. So, so these people get into a lot of trouble. And, uh, for example, Einstein, he, he had a terrible exp uh, experience in school because he was always off in his own world. So, yeah, our, our system tries to prevent these kinds of people who change the world. But once they emerge and they do change the world, we do celebrate them. So I think that if you want to be one of these people, you have to accept the fact that you are going to be misunderstood. You are going to be attacked and you've got to persevere and hang on tight to your vision. You know, when I think about the the part of your book that I find most fascinating when you get into the magic, you know, I, you know, I read a lot of these books that I write about this quite a bit myself, but you went down a journey around the magical that I thought was brave and says something about your own comfort with your own unconscious mind, your own understanding that if reductionists and scientists who just believe that <laughs> You know, an atom is an atom and that's it. If, if they get a hold of this book and try to rip it apart, that you had so much comfort with this, and you had so many good stories, so many great antidotes that it lives beautifully. What gave you the confidence to even go down this journey? I'm curious. Well, um, it's a great question. You know, the, the unconscious mind is so powerful and so influential. You know, it gives us inspiration, passion, mental energy, love, all of these important things. And so it's so important to have a good relationship with the unconscious mind. It, it, it's the year 2022. 
we want to know about something, we turn to science. But here's the problem. The brain is too complex for our current level of science. Some people have said, and I think this is true, that the brain is probably the most complex structure in the entire universe. Mm. And so we're far away from understanding it. And just to get off topic for one moment, psychiatrists have a problem with that. Because we can't take pictures of mental illness, a lot of people deny they exist. And uh, we're constantly fighting the stigma of mental illness. People going, oh, people with mental illness just need to shape it up. They just need to pull themselves together. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, back to the unconscious mind. It's absolutely essential that we develop this good relationship with it. But science is not yet ready to give us the answer, where do we go? And the answer to that question is we go to these ancient stories of the supernatural. Because the unconscious is so powerful and so influential, in past times, it was mistakenly believed to be the influence of deities, gods and goddesses, spirits and demons. And so over the course of thousands of years, these these pieces of folklore, folklore, fairy fairy tales, tales, myths, they were developed to try to explain what the heck is going on inside of them. And so that is our best source for information. And and so, yeah, it was, um, it it was a risk and I did run into a lot of resistance. Um, People thought that this was not a good way to go, but my feeling was, look, if we want to get the job done, understanding the traditions of magic is going to be the only way to do it. You know, I think that, have you, let me just ask you, have you received any pushback from people who are uncomfortable with the mystical side of this work? Yes, um, I, I did. Um, you know, originally my agent pushed back very, very hard. Uh, and, and she said, people aren't interested in this anymore. Um, people want science books today. And I said, well, there is going to be a lot of science in this book. But science can only take us so far. And so ultimately it was, all right, let's see what you can do with it. Let's see what you come up with. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I I think that, you know, this is neither fish nor fowl. It's this combination of science and magic. And I, I don't know to what degree people are going to get why this is so important. But I think it's a reflection of the human condition. You know, we're spirit and animal. Um, we're mind and flesh. And that's a weird combination. And, and I think that we all have this sense that being a human being is not an entirely comfortable thing to be. Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We struggle with these two halves of who we are. A- and so I hope uh, that that will lead people to say, we need to embrace the fact that we are two halves. We're science and magic. We are angel and animal. For those who don't know Sam Harris, Sam Harris is a neuroscientist who's very technical. He's an atheist. One of my favorite debates online is between Sam Harris and Deepak Chopra. And I feel as though that debate went viral because there are spaces for this conversation to understand that kind of spiritual dimension of neuroscience. And to put the kind of emotional unconscious with the conscious side by side and have a rigorous debate about it is absolutely necessary, especially in this 
chapter in history. And I want to encourage everybody to go out and get this book. You know, we, I'm particularly interested, having lived and worked all over the world, basing myself in the Southern African region, you know, being able to sit down with people from Christian background, Judaism, you know, looking at people who study Confucianism, all these kind of spiritual walks of life, and you start to see patterns and threads. So when I come across a book like this, I get really, really excited. I want to ask you, you know, you end the book talking about becoming transcendent. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want you to share firstly what that means, but also three ways, simple ways that people can start thinking about becoming transcendent. Transcendent is not easy to define. Uh, we usually associate transcendence with sages and gurus and religious leaders. But going back to science, scientists have found that transcendent qualities naturally increase in many people as they age. So what are these transcendent qualities? Well, a lot of what it is, is learning to be comfortable within your own skin and not being so dependent on outside things. So people who are transcendent uh, are comfortable with their appearance. They're not constantly over-obsessing, oh, I'm not good enough. Uh, same with their abilities. Uh, they appreciate their unique individuality, and they don't need to compare themselves with other people. Um, I, I wouldn't need to say, oh, I've written this many books, uh, but they've written even more books than me, so I feel inferior. Um, they're not dependent on material possessions. They don't say, I've got to have the latest car or I've got to have the latest designer clothes in order to feel good about my life. Um, they're, just, they're just content and they find meaning typically in relationship with loved ones. Their capacity to love increases. It goes beyond themselves to their family, to their friends, to humanity, to animals, to all of creation. And in some ways, that's the essence of transcendence, is being able to expand one's capacity for love. Awesome. So how do you get there? Yes, yeah. how, how do, do we get, get there? there? Right. So, uh, so another meaning of transcendence is transcending the split between the conscious and the unconscious. Um, I believe, and this comes from Carl Jung, that the way to achieve that transcendence, to be comfortable with who you are, to value your own unique identity and expand your capacity for love is to come to terms with this alien force inside your brain, the unconscious. And, and I think that the best way to do that is to start out by just getting a sense of what it is. If we want to become friends with another person, the first thing we do is learn about them. We say, hey, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Um, you know, wh what do yeah. you love? Uh, yeah. What do you hate? We, we learn more about them. And that's what we need to do with the unconscious. So you want to start paying attention to the things that go on in your head that you didn't choose to happen. Um, so I can choose to think about what I'm going to make for dinner. But most of the stuff that comes in my mind, I didn't choose. Emotions, sudden ideas, inspirations, weird memories that just come out of the blue. These are products of the unconscious, and 
because the unconscious is so alien, it, it's more of a challenge to get to know that beast than it is to get to know another person. So you got to be patient. It takes some time. You got to let these pieces of knowledge build up over the course of years. But if you pay attention, you will start to get to know this fascinating collection of characters inside of you. And that will lead to really good things. Yeah, I want to close this conversation by speaking about where we sort of started. The people who do radically change the world have a better relationship with their unconscious. They can go further inside of it. They build a more intimate relationship with it. And sometimes they are fearless in letting go and letting this part of the brain take over. But we also know that people start out on this journey and end up on drugs forever, become self-destructive, leading to extremes such as death. And so is it reasonable to expect the majority of the people to be able to go there? Or is it only meant for a few people to be able to go there and change the world? If someone is listening, I don't care where you are in the world, whether you're from South Korea, Singapore, the UK, Washington, D.C., Nigeria, it does not matter where you're listening to this. I, I want this to be a moment for you. I want you to think about how far are you willing to go when you get this book? You have to know that going further is going to create more magic, more beauty, more, more of a life that you'll look back on and smile, right? So speak to those people. Speak to the people <laughs> that's listening going, should I go there or is this reserved for a few people? It, it, it is absolutely not reserved to, to, for people. And yes, you should go there. Um, you know, you, you said bringing magic into your life. We've all experienced what we call magic moments. Um, when, 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 when kind of this veil is, is, is ripped apart and we see the world in its most magical way. That is the high point of one's life. It's worth working for. And achieving this transcendence where you heal the split before the, un- between the unconscious and the conscious requires an enormous amount of work. I-, I believe that it is the pinnacle of mental health. And so when we think about, well, how achievable is that? I think it's useful to compare it to the pinnacle of physical health. Not everybody is going to be able to get out and exercise and eat healthy and live a healthy life. But most people can if they want to. Not everybody's going to choose to do it, but everybody has the opportunity to do it. The unconscious mind is incredibly powerful. If you want to open up the door and let some of that through, you need to make sure that your conscious mind is equally powerful. And the way to strengthen your conscious mind uh, is through meditation. I, I think that's the best way. The, um, Sam Harris, is, as, as you mentioned, he talks a lot about a stoic approach to life. That's another way to strengthen the conscious mind. But I think meditation is the best way. So a lot of people will go to the gym and lift weights. Uh, they'll ride their exercise bike. Fantastic. Work on your physical health but don't neglect your mental health as well. Spend 10, 15, 20 minutes a day meditating, pay attention to what your unconscious mind is doing. And I think anybody can increase their capacity for transcendence 
and bring more of these magic moments into their lives. And finally, how do we rid ourselves from guilt? Let's say you go on this journey, you go too far. You start thinking about things that violate social contracts and codes and you know, intimate moments with partners and you feel like you've gone too far or you, you just go down this rabbit hole and then you come back and you feel a little dirty. How do you rid yourself from this guilt? You know, how do you rise up again and go, you know what? My conscious is more dominant in terms of this is how I define myself, but my unconscious, I have a healthy relationship with it. How do you return to that state? Yes. I think it's a two-step process. I think that the first step is completely immersing yourself and accepting the terrible thing that you did and not trying to push it away, not trying to make excuses, uh, saying, oh, I wouldn't have done it if, or it was kind of this person's fault, saying, you know what? This is a genuine part of me. This is as authentic as the good parts of me that I like. But although I accept it, I need to find a way not to act on it. So first step is to accept it. It's a three part, not two part. First start is to accept it. Second part is to forgive yourself and, and say, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, what kind of an arrogant, horrible person would I be if I went around thinking I was perfect? Of course not. Um, I made a mistake uh, and now I forgive myself just as I would forgive someone else who made a mistake. And then the third step is to try to make yourself strong so that you can live with this kind of darkness that brought about the mistake, but not give into it. Let it, let it have its say, you know, let it say, boy, I wish I could do that again. Uh, I wish I could get into a fight. I, I wish I could cheat. I wish I could steal. I feel I those feel impulses. They're part of who I am, but I'm not going to act on them. And I think that somewhat paradoxically, the more that you accept that it's part of who you are, the less likely you are to actually act on it. Dan Lieberman, thank you so much for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. I appreciate your research, your dedication to finding this balance, helping us trans- transcend. I, you know, on your way out, as you leave this conversation, do you find, define yourself more through your conscious or your unconscious? You know, when people say, this is not me, that was not me. You know, what is you as you say goodbye i'm i'm working on it i I think it's a lifelong effort i'm trying to get the sense of when i say me i'm talking about more than my conscious mind i'm also talking about the parts that i don't understand but they're a really important part of who i am dan thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me thanks so much dr lieberman You can get his book Spellbound on Amazon and many other bookstores and distributors. Make sure you subscribe to his YouTube channel, Daniel Lieberman. Look out for episode two in this seven-part series. Until next time.